we're going open at night with everything that I've ever wanted to try. So if we suck, I want everybody to understand that is 100% on me. <laughs> <laughs> Brings them off the corner. We go green flag racing. Kelly going to pull the slide job on him off a turn of her four. The slide job on Race Pro Radio. Brought to you by DMC Racing Products. Race to win. Hello and welcome to the slide job here on Race Pro Radio. I'm Bobby Chalmers. And even with the weather starting to get warmer, please do everything you can to keep yourselves and your families safe during this uncertain time in our country. We want to see you at the track, hopefully sooner than later. We finally did it. I got an outlaw on the show. Well, sort of. This week's guest is someone whose never-say-die attitude has led him to victory lane in just about every class he's raced. And now, he's one of the dominant big block modified drivers at Lebanon Valley. This year, he'll tackle the Valley again, while adding a weekly stop at Albany Saratoga to his schedule, and even run a majority of the Super Dirt Car Series Tour. But before we start, we have to give a shout out to Powderworth, the commercial and industrial powder coating company based in Marathon, New York. Powderworth achieves outstanding finishes designed to outlast the products they're on. No matter what you need coated, the folks at Powderworth strive to meet and beat the standards set by industry leaders. Give them a call today at 607-760-8405 and check out the Powderworth difference. Now, get ready as we have a no-holds-barred interview with the outlaw, LJ Lombardo. LJ, thanks for being on the show today. Uh, before we start, I got to ask, when we were trying to coordinate this interview uh, for the show, you, you kind of let it be known that you were on the men from an accident you had at the shop. I, I do really have to ask, I mean, what was dad even, what was going through his mind letting you touch tools? <laughs> oh, man. I, uh, I got hurt actually at my regular job. Um, I, I don't even think my father knew I was hurt at first, actually, but I got like six shards of steel in my right eye, and I had, them, had to have them removed out of my eye. It was kind of a crappy procedure, but uh, yeah, he, uh, I think it's better that I use the tools than him, that's for sure. He knows how to use the <laughs> spray gun. That's about it. Now, you and I were supposed to do this interview face-to-face, but unfortunately due to the coronavirus and whatnot, um, we haven't been able to do that. How? First of all, how are you and your family doing right now? I mean, how's everybody, and how's everybody at the shop? Everyone's good. We're uh, we're staying healthy. We took a little bit of time off. We uh, I we have a newborn coming into our family. My brother's having a kid, so we were we took a little bit of time off there to not take a chance to be around everybody. And uh, the guys still were hard at work in the shop, and we're uh, we're pretty much ready to go. All our guys are healthy and. They're starting to get a little antsy to get on a racetrack here soon. Now, the whole point of this podcast and what we've been doing for this show is is talking about race and trying to do as much about race. And how old were you when you actually started, when you strapped on your helmet for the first time? I was three years old. Um, I shouldn't probably say that, but I was three years old at Oakland Valley Speedway. My brother was a year older than me. So we actually both lied about our age the first years, but <laughs> I said I was five years old so I can race against my brother. And uh, everybody always used to ask us, they would always say, well, why are you guys twins? You're in the same class. And we're like, no, 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 we're just really close in age. But <laughs> meanwhile, we were both completely lying about our age. <laughs> now you're talking about the whole idea of running, you know, go-karts and whatnot. From what I've gathered and what I've read and seen, you were pretty successful in when, when you were racing um, championships, Countless wins and whatnot. 
Tell our list, uh, our listeners, what it's like, you know, about your racing time, racing cars with the WKA, the World Karting Association, compared to what these guys are running nowadays at the local tracks. Yeah, WKA was, uh, it was great. I mean, there was, there was a handful of us that traveled all throughout it, and it, it was kind of like, you know, the Super Dirt Series. You show up to a racetrack, and half the field is the WKA guys that come from all over, and then half the the other half of the field are the local guys at your local racetrack. But uh, it was. It was a great time. I mean, we would average, I remember averaging like 50 carts per, per week in our class. I mean, those were even in junior classes too. But to compare the two, I mean, unfortunately, go-kart racing died down a lot. And, you know, not taking anything away from those guys, they raced just as hard as we did back then. Just the the cart numbers have really died down. And I wish it was still the same. I mean, we've, we've talked about putting go-karts together for people to, to have something to race on the weekends and stuff like that. And I, I might do that here someday soon. But I, uh, I hope it picks back up and they get, you know, 20, 30 cards per class and have some good racing. You run those for, for many years, and then you actually progress to the mini sprint division running up at Whip City. A couple of weeks ago, we actually talked with Brad Haas, and he talked about, you know, racing at Whip. What was your impression of that track? That place was, uh, the go-kart track was cool. It was in the infield of the quarter mile that they had for the mini sprints, and we uh we went there. I was actually ten years old the first time I went there. It was with a go kart. They had a thousand dollar to win race in a junior class, and we unloaded. We were the only car with slicks on. Everybody else there had these big logger groove tires, and they, I don't know, they were totally old school. And we won from dead last, and they absolutely hated me because they didn't know who I was, why we <laughs> even went there. I mean, I can understand why they didn't like us to go there and you know unload and do that good right away, but. Uh, right after we did that, I was 10 years old, and that's when I started in the mini sprint. Now, back in 2005, you were involved in a pretty bad accident that, that laid you up for a while. Yeah, that uh, that was actually the exact same day. I won, uh, I forgot what junior class it was. When we won, I had this, you know, check in front of me in victory lane taking a picture, and a guy walked up to me and said, you know, if you want to run a, a 270 micro, you can you can run it here for me. And I was like, all right, cool. When are we coming back next week? He goes, no, you can do it today. And I'm like, all right, no problem. So me being the 10-year-old I am, I begged my father to let me do it. And, you know, it probably was the worst decision him and I have made. It's not on him at all. I made a decision even at 10 years old, and I wanted to do it so bad. And uh, My foot actually got stuck on the steering shaft of the sprint car because those cars don't have power steering. They have a shaft that goes down in between your legs it pinned my right foot up against the gas pedal and I hit the turn three wall head on full speed and fifth gear. Like you couldn't go any faster than that. And that laid me up for almost a year. Um, I did say, you know, I, I haven't missed a year of racing since I was three years old. And I mean that I, w- I was laid up for almost a full season and uh, it broke my pelvis, my tailbone, my right leg. And it just, it per- progressed to have, you know, pain here for the rest of my life so far. But, uh, you know, and another way to put it, too, I was racing WK at the time, and somebody's name that races against us now is Bobby Hackle. And I do remember we were tied for the points in 2005, going into the very last race of the year, and it was at Turkey Trot, and the week before I got hurt. So Bobby won the championship because I couldn't make the race, obviously. And uh, we, we joke around about that once in a while here now because we don't know what would have happened if I actually got to race that race. A couple years go by, and everything you've done you decide to make the big leap to run the dirt sportsman the dirt car sportsman division you go to orange county of all places um and i think from everything i remember you were pretty quick right out of the gate no we were 
we were pretty good right out of the box. We had a lot of help, a lot of uh, I mean, a lot of people that knew what they were doing. The whole Jablonka family actually helped me right out of the box, and that is like the sole reason why we were so fast right out of the box. They uh, they did everything they possibly could for me, so we can we can compete right away. What do you think is the biggest difference between the sportsman machine and the smaller cars and everything that you would run? Um, believe it or not, I always say this. I feel like we went a lot faster in a go-kart. Obviously, speed-wise, don't show it, but you're sitting so much lower to the ground. You don't have power steering. You know, you got to be a lot smoother behind the wheel, and I personally think it's harder to race a go-kart than it is to race a sportsman car. And, uh, you know, you kind of rely on horsepower when you get in these bigger cars, and of course, it's not easy to drive. I don't want to ever make it sound like it is because I get my ass beat just like everybody else does once in a while. So, we, uh, I just I know that in go karts it's a lot harder to adapt to it and to adapt to a racetrack and you know the track changes just as much on a dirt go kart track that it does on our regular modified tracks. Back in 2013, there was one extremely memorable night at the racetrack. Not only did you get your first career win. But you became a lot closer with your dad. If memory serves me, a pair of clippers was involved. Can you explain what actually transpired to even have you cut your dad's hair in victory lane? We have always told my father he's been stuck in the 80s his whole life. <laughs> my mom always agreed with it. He did. He always had a mullet. And now you look like Rico Abreu and all them are growing mullets. Junior and all them. So it's actually coming back, and I kind of feel bad cutting it, but... We, uh, we're always a family that makes bets, friendly bets, whatever it is. We make bets. We make sure that if I bet my father $10, I'm going to do something and I lose, I better pay my father $10. That's always how I was, <laughs> I was like brought up. You, you do what you say. So yep. one day I told him, I said, dad, no, let's make a little bet. I'll give you a hundred dollars cash. Meanwhile, this is 2013. So that's, uh, that was some time ago. I didn't even have a job yet. And I told him, I said, I'll give you $100 cash if I don't win this year. But if I do win, I get to cut your mullet off. And he goes, absolutely freaking not. It's not happening. And we, hound, we hounded him for it for a couple of weeks. And he finally said, you know what? Screw it. Let's do it. And then two weeks later, I literally was in victory lane cutting his hair. <laughs> two weeks? He, uh, at the time, he didn't like that. But, uh, you know, looking back, he was he was pretty happy for it. I, to this day, I still remember the photo of you guys doing that in Victory Lane. It, it, it's got to be one of the best things ever. That, uh, that photo is actually hanging up in my shop. That's the best part. <laughs> <laughs> now, the next year, you seem you seemed to have it all together. Uh, you were able to win the championship for the sportsman class down in, in Middletown. Um, that had to be a huge weight off your off your chest, knowing that you were able to climb to the top of the mountain in the big cars, just like you were with the the go karts. Yeah, it uh, it definitely took it took us a little while to get adapted. I started my first time getting in a in a mod, like a sportsman car was 2012. I went out for like half a season. We we were decent, you know, not not anything crazy. And then, like you said, 2013 we got a lot better. And 2014, Shane Jablonka was my crew chief, and you know, every Saturday we leave out of Danbury, Connecticut, which is absolutely nowhere near, you know, Lebanon Valley where I race now. But we would go all the way up to, you know, the Jablanca's house, and Shane would help me set the car up, and he taught me pretty much everything I needed to know. And uh, he came to the racetrack every week, and he made sure that we were fast out of the box, and he knows how to adapt to a racetrack. And we were good every week. I think we finished outside the top five once or twice all year. might have been twice. And, uh... 
one one night that that brings you know back into my memory immediately whenever we talk about our championship year uh we were going into the third to last week of the year and we had a, the point lead by five points matt janiak was second and brian kremel was third and uh we went to turn one and all three of us were piled up into a wreck because of a guy who started on the front row and our cars were destroyed. Janiac flipped. Kremel's car was destroyed. My front end was out of my car. And they towed me into the pits. They Shane ran up. Him and Peanut Butter, I remember from Danny Creedon's crew, they changed my front end. They left two radius rods on the left side and one radius rod on the right side. And they said, just hang on. It might be all over the place. And we finished second. And that won wow. us the championship that night. It was not easy. I mean, every week it was us, Kreml, Janiac, and Frank Venezia, Chris Stevens. We all battled for the wins every single week. That is probably the hardest we've ever raced was that year. Over the next year, you ran some 358 races, trying to gain as much experience as you possibly could. But it was a call from Bill Pasquale that probably changed your life. Tell me about the, the opportunity he gave you to run his number three big block. Yeah, we uh – we, after winning the championship, we got our own uh, small box, spec small box to run at Middletown. And we always told ourselves, you know, it's not an age thing like it is in go-karts. You know, these cars, you could be 13 years old and race a big block that we're seeing some of these kids do now. And, uh, you know, it's it took a lot of money to do it. So we just, we had enough money to be able to run a 358. And we told ourselves, let's conquer the 358 completely before we ever move up into a big block. And halfway through the year, Bill Pasquale called me and said, you know, I like what you're doing. And we helped Bill out a little bit at the beginning of the year. So he put me in his car towards halfway through the season. And uh, we had a ton of success, like, right away with Bill. I mean, he, he definitely gave me what I needed to get the job done. And he had a good team. And we just we had success for, you know, that half of the year. And then 2016, we, we ran a full season for him. Wasn't there a story about the fact that he, he wouldn't put your name on the roof until you did something? Oh, absolutely. He wouldn't <laughs> put my name. The, the crazy part is, too, is we had T-shirts made one year, and I'll never forget this. We had T-shirts made, and they actually messed up and left Bill's name on the roof of the car on the T-shirt. And I had, <laughs> I never lived that down. He used to tell me all the time. He goes, hey, man, my name's still on the roof of the car. You know, I can get back in it. But now, he, he did. He gave me he gave me an opportunity. My my first race ever in a big block. We went to the slickest racetrack in the Northeast at the time was Utica Rome, and uh, I remember Steve Beckwith was with Brett Hearn, and they both walked up to me like, "Oh, this is awesome! You know, you, you took the ride out here to run a sportsman car." And I said, "No, that's a big block." And Brett literally looked at me and he goes, "Well, you better hang on because it's like an ice skating rink." And I kind of laughed. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, well." I remember in hot laps, we were second quick to Stuart Friesen, and then it was an ROC race. And then I went out, started on the pole my heat race, and I go into turn one, and Danny Johnson gave me a shot. And I spun out about four times before I stopped. And then I came off the track after the heat, and I'm like, I don't know where the bite went, but this is literally like running on an ice skating rink. They were not lying to me at all. Brett tried to help me and tell me that, and I was like, eh, you know, no way, no way. And he sure the hell was right. Now you won rookie of the year with Bill down in Middletown and and you and you got your first big block modified win in his car down there. Um you've always seemed to be somebody that has like a a no doubt attitude. Was it a matter of if rather than when you'd get your first big block win? Uh I just I'm always the type of person where if you doubt yourself, you know, you're you're never going to do much. I mean, I I don't I never go to a race doesn't matter if it's super dirt week 
even if we go to Charlotte or, you know, magically one day I start Daytona 500, I never go there knowing that, you know, we're not going to win. I always have a never quit attitude. Never, never say die attitude is always what I've had growing up. And, you know, did I think we were going to have all that success right away with Bill? I absolutely did not. I had no idea that we would run that good. And then I remember, I think it was June. I want to say it was June. I started racing for him in 2015. So we raced the rest of the season, and obviously we weren't in it for the points. We had two wins that season, and uh, Perego, that was his rookie year at Middletown with the New York Truck Parts car, and I won rookie of the year, and they were pissed about it because I only raced like half the season. <laughs> but we had two wins, and we had a ton of success right away. So I don't know. I mean, I'd probably be mad too if I ran a whole season – he finished way higher than me in points and everything, and then we still won Rookie of the Year. <laughs> the following year, you, you decided to add Alme Saratoga on Friday nights to your, with your own car, with your own 35, to, to your schedule, and including the, the Saturday nights at Middletown with Bill's car. Um, and even up there, you were named Rookie of the Year. That had to be so much fun to realize that you were able to run two nights a week, and you were not only doing you're not doing it all with your own cars, you were doing it as a hired gun at, at one point as well yeah that was uh that really was a dream come true you know at the time it's, that's what i wanted to do every race car driver wants to travel and you know we don't we don't have the money to be able to go around and do that so uh bill made that you know a possibility in 2016 where i would literally show up to his shop i, I worked there full time at the time and uh you know we'd go race friday night and come flying home friday night and saturday morning we had another car ready to go so that was definitely good. It made me so much better of a driver. Uh, I was always up on the wheel, man. We had a great year at Malta, and I'm happy we did it that year because at the time, I mean, you still had Stewie there and Hearn and Trema. Obviously, all those guys are still there. Stewie's not there full time, but we uh, we had every big name guy that you could possibly think of was there. So it was a it was a great learning experience. It's how you get better. Now, unfortunately. At, you left Bill's team at the end of 2016 and began to put together your own deal again. Um, if you don't, what was the whole reason? Why did you end up leaving Bill's team? It was a, it was more of a mutual thing. You know, he, they had the, uh, an idea in the back of their mind of putting somebody else in the car, and you know, rides they they come to an end. Unfortunately, not all of them, but some of them do. And it was it was kind of a you know a messed up deal. Not really what we wanted to do at the time. And, I uh, I got a text message just saying, you know, it's where we're going to go down a different road and put somebody else in the car, and you kind of have to respect that. I've never been fired from driving a race car before, but I, I kind of got hints from people that they were going down that road. So, you know, it's it's not anything that you can change. Once they have their mind made, they have their mind made. So we, uh, we had about just under a month, I believe, to build a whole other race car, our, our JPM big block that we ran at. Albany Saratoga actually blew up the last night of the year that we ran at Middletown for the Eastern States qualifier. So we uh, we had a search. We had to buy a motor. We had to buy all the quick fill stuff, the radios. I mean, we built an entire Eastern States ready car in a month without having anything. And that's probably the most money that we've had to spend, you know, in a month's time. It's not what we wanted to do. It wasn't our, wasn't our plan. But, you know, you kind of just got to roll with it when times like that come. And there was once you get the taste of a big block, it was you. There was no going back. There was it was hard for you to to run anything else, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a feeling you'll never get in any other car. I mean, we we have you know some stuff in the works now where we want to get either a spec small block or an open small block just to run cer certain shows where 
you know the money is, but weekly competition out of our own stable. It's all big blocks here. Back at the Lebanon Valley Swap Meet uh, that off season, I remember talking with you and your dad, uh, Lou, and both of you guys were trying to figure out where you were, what was going to be the best place for you to run the following season. Ironically, you found a home at the High Banks. Talk to me about your what went into your decision to join the modified field at Lebanon Valley. Yeah, so at the time at Middletown, um, you know, not knocking them at all, but everybody knows that their their racetrack was a tough racetrack. It was hard to pass. It was you really weren't coming from the back. If you started 15th and you finished 10th, it was a good night. And you know. At the time, we were like, we want to go somewhere where it's a lot more racy, and we were racing Albany Saratoga at the time, where you could start 30th and finish in the top five, where that is, a, you're trucking. That, that's all you can say. You, we were good, and, you know, we had our we had our shit together there, and we, uh, we, we wanted to make a decision to go somewhere on a Saturday night. We knew it was with our own car. I'll tell you right now, you're not running Lebanon Valley and Malta on your own pocket. You know, it's it's expensive to race Lebanon Valley. We knew that going into it. So we, we decided to do one night a week and go somewhere where there was more opportunity, more sponsorships and stuff like that. So we uh, we decided to go there, and I'm happy we did. I mean, we, we went there knowing that we could be, you know, decent out of the box, probably not set the world on fire. and We, uh, we adapted pretty quickly to that place. In that first season, you went up there, you had blank quarter panels on the car. Um, you had good sponsorship, but you didn't have a major sponsor, and you left the quarter panels blank. You were able to, to get your first career win. You also took home the J.C. Flack first-time uh, winner bonus. What did it mean to you to realize that you were now a, a winner, not only at Middletown with the big box, but at Lebanon Valley attracted, you know, you like you said, there's the field is, is phenomenal there. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a, it was a dream come true. I mean, Whenever we would rain out at, the, at Middletown, we would always, you know, get our trucks. We'd never bring our race car there, but we would fly up to the valley to watch. And, you know, we went there. We watched Hearn whoop up on these guys for a long time. And I was always taught since I was a little kid, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. And, you know, not saying that we beat these guys all the time, but we are competitive with them. So, uh, you know, we diced it up with the people that are the best in the Northeast. So we decided to go there. And we were when – we, when we won at the valley, it was – it was hard. I mean, we didn't have the equipment they had. We didn't have an 18-degree motor. We didn't have all this newest, latest, and greatest stuff. We just had guys that wouldn't quit. And uh, I'll never forget it. We, Me and my girlfriend had a vacation planned for the week after we won, and it was planned for a while. So it, it worked out good. We got to celebrate on vacation for about four days. And uh, we were getting on a fishing charter, and my phone rang from a April Park number. And I was like, ah, who the hell is this? So I answered it, and... You know, I pick up the phone. He goes, "Hey, this is Paul Wino from Snap On Tools, and I see your quarter panels are empty. I want to fill your spots on your quarter panels." And you know, not to knock people, but when somebody says that, you're like, "All right, here we go." You know, you give them a price, and they're not going to want to do it. And he said, "I already sent you a check in the mail, and if it's not enough, give me a call back, and I'll send you more." And I'm like, "All right." You know, it's that's what we needed. That's what that's what we were looking for, and we got that. Now, Paul, I mean, he has stepped it up 110 percent, and he owns our entire Valley deal now. He that's that's all him. I. I pretty much I gotta work on the cars during the week. Don't get me wrong, but it's a it's a show up and go type deal. I was gonna say that was gonna be my next question right after that. You know, Paul came on. You pretty much answered. I mean, it seems like that was probably the 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 biggest part getting somebody with that kind of clout to support your racing operation. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, me and my father, we we had a deal that you know 2017 was gonna be our last season. Uh, 
not like I wanted to get out of racing, but we were going to have to downsize completely because we knew we couldn't afford it on our own. And he said, you know, if we can't pull a decent sponsorship out of the valley and we'd probably have to either go back to racing Middletown because it's closer for us, maybe a small block. And, you know, that, that was our thought going into it. And right after we won, I was like, I don't think we can really leave this place now that we won a big block race. And then literally four days later, Paul called. And ever since then, he's been he's been the, the greatest blessing, I'm telling you. Anything that guy says, he does. And he's a man of his word, 110%. You finished top 10 in points that year, and, and during the offseason, you guys, you improved your engine program, put together a new Billy the Kid uh, power plant, but you didn't quite have the consistency you wanted. You did win, but just did things just not line up the way you wanted? Yeah, consistency's huge. I mean, you, uh, you only win championships when you, you know, you finish races. It's not all about winning every single week. You try to get as far forward as you possibly can, and it just seemed like our car was at a lockdown stage. I mean, when we, when we started up front, you know, people shine when they start up front. So we'd win when we'd start first, second, or third row, and that's not what we're, what we're looking for. You know, we want to be able to win one week and go back the next week and start 16th, and you're sitting in victory lane again. So I know that's every racer's goal, and, you know, after that, we just we had a search for it. During the fall part of uh, 2018, your quote-unquote teammate, you know, Frankie Harper, he's, you know, sponsored by Paul as well. He runs a 358 at the Valley. Um, he was having some issues with his back and, and which kind of forced him out of his, his PMC car uh, for the 358 races. He asked you to drive, and one of the nights that you did, you parked it in Victory Lane. Um, that had to be amazing. I mean, talk about even that night, that night and everything. Do you remember anything about that? I remember that night 110%. I could never forget that one. I uh, <laughs> I never even sat in Frankie's car. I mean, he was he was great enough to tell me, you know, we gotta we gotta go there and at least finish the race for points. And they did a substitute driver deal that the valley allows you to do. And uh, I think we started 10th that night. And the car wasn't it wasn't that good in the heat. I mean, it definitely needed needed to be you know adjusted to. And the racetrack was tacky. It was late in the year. It was fast and Man, that, that car was an absolute rocket ship that night. You know, Paul just, he came up to me before the feature, and he said, you know, just get as far forward as you can. And, you know, if you could pull one off, pull one off. Just, you know, just have the car come back in one piece. And I said, all right, well, I didn't want to get in and be timid, but that car was a rocket ship, and I knew it was going forward. At the end of the year, you went back to Middletown for Eastern States, and you had a deal for your car in the big blocks, but you also, you put together the PMC to run Frankie's car, and you came away with a runner-up finish in the 150. I mean, Talk about that race. Yeah, that, uh, that race still doesn't sit well with me. I have nightmares about that one still. Why uh, is that? We should have won that race. I mean, we technically had the lead. I mean, Stuart Friesen won. He came up light. We didn't know he was going to come up light. So I passed Hearn for second with five laps to go. I conserved everything I had. That's when the track, you know, was hard. And you put a 500 on the right rear, and you hope it lasts the whole race. And, man, it was – it was a dream come true to even finish second in that race after after it was all said and done. But when I heard Stewie came up light, I'm in the car thinking to myself, you know, I literally passed her five laps ago, and he got back by me on a restart. And if he didn't, we would have won. And you start to think about everything else. Then you're guaranteed starter every year. Then you're, you know, it was $15,000 to win, and you just you start to let that hit you. And as a race car driver, second's never good enough. <laughs> For the next season you guys made the decision to do a chassis change. So you went with the PMC. 
um, yep. that you had been running. You know, Pete Chuck's cars are built right, probably 20 miles away from from Lebanon Valley Speedway. What about the PMC car? Obviously, you run that car for a couple times running Frankie's car. What about that car fit your driving style? I uh, I don't know. I mean, I have this conversation with Pete all the time. I don't know what it is, but it's just it's good. Uh, car's got a ton of ton of side bite. I've always struggled getting side bite in a car. You know, as soon as I got in Frankie's car, believe it or not, even after I won in Frankie's car, I'm not saying I wasn't against PMC at all. That's not what it is. But we didn't even have a desire to buy a new car at the end of that year. And after I won Frankie's car and we went to Eastern States, and I saw how hands-on Pete is with his guys. I mean, don't get me wrong. Pete doesn't have 2,000 cars out there. He doesn't build, you know, 300 cars a year. If he builds 10, that's a lot for him. He understands that. He doesn't want to build any more than that. So I started to think about it long and hard. And, uh, you know, right after Eastern States weekend, I sat down with my car owner, my father, and I said, I think we need to, you know, make a change and, uh, we need to we need to do something where we can get a lot more hands-on help. And Pete was there 110. percent We ordered two cars from him in November, and you know we're used to ordering a car, and you know, in a month later you're, you're going to pick it up. Usually around December we'd pick up a car if we ordered one. And he told me he said it's going to take a little while. You know, I, I make sure my cars are 110 percent perfect before they leave. And so we picked up our first car in March. I think it was March 15th, and that's uh that's late. You know, we, we thrashed and built this entire new car to go to the Valley. It was, uh, that car was a rocket ship right out of the box. Finished third opening night. And, I mean, besides two breaks this past year, we broke a motor twice. Besides that, we wouldn't have finished outside the top ten. As I say, this past year, it, it just seemed like your car, everything you had did was on fire. I mean, you you grabbed a couple victories at the Valley, including a wild last lap pass, last corner slide job. On John Rochelle, you know, when you were able to get it. yeah. Unfortunately, you snatched his first career win away from him, but. Um, I kind of feel bad about that. Too. Uh, well, I mean, you guys, you guys, do you remember what you were thinking when you got to the white flag lap, knowing you were right behind him? I, I thought I was finishing second, to be honest with you. You know, I I remember it clear as day. It's late, late race restarts there. They go single file. and I told myself if I show him the nose going into turn one, Maybe I'll get him to like twitch and slide up the racetrack, and he held his own. And I literally, as I'm going down the back stretch, this is before we even got the white flag. Uh, I thought to myself, I'm like, holy shit, man, I'm not going to win this at all. You know, I, I ran from 13th that night, and I, I I got to second. I'm like, this guy literally is going to win right now, and it was good for him. You know, I was literally happy for him. He was running great, and then, you know, we got the white flag and. I had a killer runoff turn two, and I thought to myself, it's either try to pass him on the outside because he's running right in the middle of the racetrack, and I probably won't beat him off turn four because my momentum wasn't high enough, or see when he lifts and don't lift until he does. And he lifted about three car lanes before he was on prior laps, and I don't think I even lifted in turn three and four, to be honest with you. (laughs) But, uh, no, I just I thought to myself, at least just clear him. I mean, if I slide all the way up and smack the fence, I, it's on me. You know, I got to face my car owner when I get out of the car and explain to him I was going for the win. But, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure if I didn't try to pass him on the last lap, that wouldn't have went over too well with my car owner. He's there to win. But, uh, <laughs> no, it was it was good. I mean, I just I didn't want to door him. I didn't want to hit his left front tire. And I watched the video now, and I had him clear by, like, three car lanes before I even turned the wheel. So Now, you, you finished – 
you know, really well in the points again this this past year. What changed last season that made you feel like you were more competitive than than you've been at Lebanon Valley? We just gelled. Everything we did just gelled together. I mean, I've, I've gone to the racetrack and on the ride up, you know, I start thinking to myself, man, well, I should have done this different. I should have done this different. But this past year, I never second-guessed myself. You know, my crew worked great with me, and any change that – listen, I'm not perfect. I've made bad decisions, and there's nights where we would have been a lot better last year. Just our car was always decent enough to where we can perform. But uh, there's there's other things I would do that we could have been better, but they all trusted me last year, which was huge. You know, if I got out of the car and said, eh – we need to do this, and one guy thinks that we need to do the other one, we'd all come to an agreement where I wasn't really used to that. I was always used to leaving it all in, you know, one person's hands, and then afterwards I'm like, damn, I should have done that. But they uh, they worked with me really well. Everybody came together and did their part. And I don't know, man. It just If I knew exactly what it was that made us ten times better, I'd be able to tell you, but I don't. It was just and you'd be doing it again this year, right? Yeah, exactly. And this year we're coming back with – you know, different parts, and we're still with PMC race cars. Got a brand new car, brand new Billy the Kid motor. We're uh, we're actually taking stuff that I've been writing down for the past three or four years. I've been writing everything down about what I want to try, and we're going open at night with everything that I've ever wanted to try. So if we suck, I want everybody to understand that is a hundred percent on me. <laughs> <laughs> but at least I understand that. You know, if we had a bad night, it's never point fingers at anybody. I just I understood that I. 90% of the time, the one that made that final call that, you know, I got to live with it. I was going to ask you now, you, with everything, once we finally get rolling this year, what do you have cooking? I mean, obviously, you've just said you're going back and you're going to do this stuff with the PMCs of Lebanon Valley, but, I mean, what, do, what else do you have going on this year? Yeah, so, you know, when the season was getting ready to start, and uh, you know, Howard called me and told me that there was going to be a, a stop to this because this whole virus, I started to think, and so, you know what, if we run three quarters of a season, that's that's a lot for us. I mean, we're far away from the Valley. And yeah, I have a car owner, but I don't have a ton of money to be able to run my own stuff. So, uh, once we got further into the season and we're not racing, I mean, it looks like if we get, you know, half a season in, that's going to be good, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to run Albany Saratoga on Friday nights. I... Uh, I've always kicked myself in the butt because I haven't won there. We have come super close to winning at that place, and we have to win. I, I got to go back. I got to get a win at Malta. You know, I just – I really think running two racetracks will make us that much better. I mean, that year in 2016 when I ran Malta on Fridays and Middletown on Saturdays, we were a contender for the championship in Middletown. It made our Saturday night program even better. So we, uh, we came to an agreement now that we're trying to put two – Two, deal, two deals together, we're going to bounce back in a couple different cars at Malta on Fridays to make it a little easier on myself. But we, uh, we're we definitely going to do it. I mean, I got, I think it was six or seven Super Dirt Series races scheduled. And we got a lot of races scheduled. Just we got to get going here soon. We're, uh, we're going to start going crazy and probably all of us be single here soon. We've got to stay at home all the time. <laughs> all right. One of the things I want to do with ending this is I, I've ended all of these shows by doing a word association. Like, I'll, I'll see either say a person or a phrase, and, and I want you to kind of come up with the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody gets scared when I say this, and it's nothing that, to be scared yeah, about. Yeah, that's, that's, that's nerve-wracking. Yeah, don't worry about that. There's one that I you're pretty— I usually get to compare—I usually get to test, like, my— 
my victory lane speech in the shower and stuff like that. When you throw stuff out at me, I got to be quick. I all right. Let's just get on this show. Um, <laughs> if I say if I talk about Robbie Alvarado, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Ooh, passion. He uh, he's passionate for everything that he does. He puts his all in everything. Now, I mean, he's been with you guys for the longest time. I mean, what does it mean to have somebody that is so hands-on as a part of your team? Yeah, you know, he uh, when he first started, he, he did pretty much everything for us. I mean, he was my full crew chief, and, you know, he, he took care of a lot of a lot of our loose ends and put them together, which was good. We needed that. Now he he's actually taken on a lot more hands-on, not just the whole car part. I mean, we have – we got a team that works on the whole race car. We understand that, so he's taken over our whole suspension package. He's definitely our uh, our go-to. Whenever we have suspension questions or whatever, we gotta we gotta talk to him about it. He's the one that takes care of it all. This one's not really a person. This is more of a group of people. When I when I tell you, like, if you're getting ready to line up for the modified feature, Lebanon Valley. What do you think about, say you were starting in the back, like you're saying 15th, 16th, when you realize all of these guys are in front of you, what word conjures up in your mind about the modified field of Lebanon Valley? I just tell myself it's time to put on a show. I, uh, I'm i not very easily, you know, intimidated. And I just, I'll be honest with you, we went to Middletown this year and for Centennial Weekend. And when I say I had everybody in my heat race, it was Brett, Stu, Matt Shepard, you know, any big name person there was like 12 cars in my heat race and i was like the littlest name guy and i loved it you know i <laughs> like i said before if you if you want to be the best you got to beat the best it seems like family has been huge for a lot of people we've had on the show and you're no different talk to me about your dad he seems like he's always been been right there doing every single thing with you he is everything he's he puts everybody else before him you know and everybody always says, you know, I have the greatest father, blah, blah, blah. And I, I get it, but, man, my father is the greatest person in the world. And I know there's a ton of people that will hear this that will understand that. He's just – when I say he'll do anything for anybody, I mean it. I mean, he's he's always there for everyone. He's been there for me my whole life. And, I mean, I'm just – I'm happy that we could take a big weight off his chest and have a car owner now. And, it makes it a lot easier for us, and we could focus a lot more on the family business. But he's the hardest working guy I've ever met in my life. One last question I have for you: If if you, L.J. Lombardo, right now in 2020, could give advice to that, I was going to say five-year-old, but that three-year-old, L.J. Lombardo, who's getting ready to get into the go kart for the first time all those years ago, what do you think it would be? Um, that's a big question. I would definitely tell them never give up for anything. I mean, I've, I've hit some, some brick walls in my time getting hurt and losing rides, man. Don't ever let anybody tell you, you can't do anything, you know, respectfully to your parents. I've had my parents behind me 110%, but you know, if they ever told me I was making a bad decision, I would listen to them. But you know, people have doubted me, and they've told me, yeah, you'll never make it. You'll never be able to do this. You'll never be able to do that. But when you have your mind set on something, man, don't ever, ever, ever let anybody take that away from you. All right, man, I appreciate it. I know this is not exactly the way we wanted to do this interview, but I appreciate you being on the show. Hopefully we can do this when we're at the racetrack, or maybe if you're in victory lane, we'll do this one another time. Thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it. Now, this is one of the shows I've been wanting to do ever since I began the slide job. 
I've known LJ and his father for many years, and they are two of the nicest people you'll ever want to meet and two of the hardest working. I'm so glad I was finally able to get them on the show. And remember, you can download this or anything from Race Pro Radio, uh, Spotify, the iTunes Store, or even RaceProWeekly.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please stay safe and come back next time. But until then, this has been The Slide Job here on Race Pro Radio. Radio.